Today, we're going to start our journey through the book of Philippians. Um, today, uh, last week, we, we looked at Paul's travel. Mostly, in all reality, we looked at his travels as he went in and out of jail. So if you know somebody that's going in and out of jail, maybe life's not... Well, he, he was in jail mostly because he was preaching the name of the Lord, and he wouldn't back down from the gospel. And he ended up going into jail a whole many times, and we looked at not only Paul but also his traveling companions last week as well. We looked at uh, really the motivations of convenience versus conviction and ultimately why we each personally choose to follow Christ and what we do when times get stressful, when, when we no longer it's convenient to follow Jesus, but all of a sudden our, our faith and what we say is put to the test and, and the pressure is on us. Last week we looked at Demas who followed Paul when the easy was going, uh, when the going was easy. Wow, um, got to say those correctly. There we go. Um, it's one of those days. It's going to be one of those days, I can tell. Um, we looked at Demas. He followed Paul when it was easy and when it was convenient. But when Paul was in a bad situation, when Paul was really needing his friend to be there, Demas turned tail and he, he fled. He, he took off when Paul really needed his friend. We also looked at Luke last week. Luke, who was a faithful follower, the, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which we're going to be looking at today. Luke had a moment of weakness as well, where he actually had left Paul for a moment, but then decided that he'd rather stand by his friend. Uh, and he is counted as faithful because of his decisions. We each have convictions that drive us. And we saw those two men and what they did. At the end of last week's sermon, we looked at four different areas that we as Christians can be um, purposely building into our lives to, to build our faith personally as we grow and deepen our convictions. Those ones are, and I'll put them on the screen, that we should be in God's word regularly. These are things that you already know, but they're worth repeating out loud that we should be talking with the Father regularly. We should be actively involved in some way. That's serving, whether it's here in the church or somewhere in your community or maybe even at your job, serving in some way, saying, you know what, hey, I'm gonna tell the gospel and bring the light here. That's, that's what God lays on each of our hearts and that looks different for each of us. But that we should also be seeking the company of other believers, specifically people who will lift us up and challenge us in God's word, people who will bring us closer to our Father in heaven. Now this week, as we begin looking at Paul's instructions to the church at Philippi, there are a couple things that we're going to need to know before we begin our journey. Number one, this is Paul's uh, prison epistle. This is a prison epistle. There are four different prison epistles. Uh, they were written while he was in prison, obviously, so named. Uh, the first one was Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, we already looked at. So the last book we looked at, he actually wrote from uh, from a prison. We just read that one. And then we have Colossians. Colossians as well, and then the short book of Philemon, okay? So Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon are the four prison epistles. He wrote these when he was in jail, and he couldn't go anywhere, and he was just thinking about the Lord and what he needed to do. So the second thing that we're going to know is that as he's writing this book, it's going to become incredibly clear that Paul seems to have a closer connection to this church than any other. What he says here is more personal than any other letter. It's almost like... He's, he's really, really good friends with these people. Like, you know some people at church, and you're like, you know, I go to church with them, but then you know some people at church. Like, yeah, that's my mom. I go with church. There are differences, and Paul writes to, about these people, and this letter, it's just deeply personal. We're actually going to be looking at that personal connection today as we dive into not only Philippians, but we're going to be diving into the beforehand of the Philippian church. Within its pages, we're going to see him instructing us as Christians how to live lives that reflect the love of Christ in absolutely everything we do. 
With each letter, I like to choose a set of memory verses. Uh, now, memory verses are um, really great to help us to kind of get a focus of the letter, just kind of the core of the letter. This one's a really hard one to choose memory verses from. If you see it on a Christian t-shirt or on a mug, it probably came from this book. I mean, th this is like one-line city. Like, everything that you see comes from Philippians. Uh, it is amazing how much the deep love kind of just resonates. And this is why we see this on all the uh, Christian apparel these days. It's also difficult to choose something because in all reality, we have Christians that haven't been walking very long. And in all reality, I'm going to be honest, we've got some Christians in here that have been Christ followers long than I've been alive. And that's a testimony to God's faithfulness in your lives. And that's a really good thing for a church to have. We should have a variety of walks of life in Christ. But it also makes it difficult because I need to find a verse that actually applies to everybody. And I think, I think I found something. Uh, something that I think we will all be able to be encouraged by because no matter where you are in your journey, this one should be able to apply to your daily walk. Now, I'm going to read it, and then we can actually say it together. But it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. You might be familiar with this one. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look not out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. So let's say these together. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only if his own... Oh, wow, I messed that up. I'm sorry. That is my bad. Also for the interests of others. Wow. See, okay. So, see, I'm learning this as well. So, we're going to take this, okay, as an example. I'm going to start here, and hopefully by the end, I'll be able to quote it. Hopefully, you'll be able to quote it as well. So, I was reading it, and I still messed it up. That's how well I know these verses by memory, right there. Okay. So, we're going to use these, and we're going to look at this. We're actually going to actually refer back to these during this sermon. So, hopefully, uh, you'll find these um, together in this sermon. Last week, we closed our sermon uh, with communion, and we, we looked at what Jesus did for us out of conviction, pure conviction of holding us as better than himself. We, we actually looked at a set of verses when we were talking about the leading up to communion, and, and I talked about how he actually, though he equal with God, considered it ro not robbery to actually place himself lower as a servant. He humbled himself. That actually comes from this set of verses. So we're going to get to this in a couple of weeks. Jesus himself uh, said, us himself as an example of serving, and actually that comes from this passage. So we'll be looking at this later. Now this week, we're going to be covering an overview of the book, and we're going to step into the first chapter together, but we're only going to be looking at the first couple of verses. Most of this sermon, while, while the idea is about Philippians, most of the sermon, we're actually going to be in Acts chapter 16. If you have a physical Bible, you will probably want to be in Acts chapter 16. We'll start in Philippians, but most of our time, we'll actually be digging around the background so you have a good understanding of the book of Philippians as we're moving through it. Now, I want you to have a good foundation. So this one is Philippians 101, an introduction to Philippians. Philippians 101, today you are in our college class. Congratulations, I'm your professor, Pastor Jake. And we are going to have a three-point bullet outline. Surprise, surprise. Today we are going to be looking at introductions and second chances. We all need a second chance. Anybody say amen to that? Need a second chance? Yeah? Okay, where the Spirit doesn't lead. Where the Spirit doesn't, yes, you read that one correctly. We'll go there. And then answering the call, answering the call. So let's dive right into number one, introductions and second chances. 
So one reason that we know Paul wrote this letter is because just like in grade school, you know how your teacher always said you have to put your name at the top, you have to put your name and the date at the top? Paul always puts his name at the beginning of his letters. He's like, Paul, an apostle, Paul this, Paul that. So every single time Paul introduces himself, so he makes it really easy for us to understand that it's him. This way, he says this letter, and he opens up in Philippians. We're going to look at the first three verses here. He says, Paul and Timothy. Well, that's different. Bond servants of Jesus Christ to all saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So here we're going to find that Paul is co-authoring this book with Timothy. Timothy is his apprentice, okay? So he's teaching Timothy as he's going along. Paul is teaching Timothy by doing. So He's leading him. He's teaching him. He's showing him. Now, there's an old adage, and you may be familiar with it. It says, I hear, and I forget. I see, and I remember, and I do, and I understand. In our house, we don't just tell the boys how to do the chores. We let them learn firsthand. Isn't that correct, boys? You guys learn firsthand? They're trying to ignore me. I see, I see smiles. Yep. <laughs> They have to be involved in the process, and they learn better, and they finally understand. When we take the time to teach someone the understanding of the subject that we hold actually deepens so much more, and anybody who's ever been a teacher probably recognizes this, that when you learn something, you really learn it when you have to teach it to somebody else. You learn it at a completely new level. Now, it might not be obvious at first, but it's actually incredibly appropriate that Timothy is helping Paul. There's a really good reason that Timothy is helping co-author this specific book, and we're going to find out why in just a moment. In Acts chapter 16, as we're about to turn there, you're going to find out that Acts was written by the author Luke, as you guys probably already know, as we've talked about that. Now, Acts was written by Luke as he traveled around with Paul. So most of it is firsthand of Luke. This is the account. This is, this is what we did. This is what we did. Some of it he was told by other people because he couldn't be there for all of it. So he's kind of just recording everything the first couple of years of the church as it's growing and stepping out. In 16, Paul is on his first missionary journey, and in chapter uh, 16, verse 1, uh, Paul says these words. So Luke is writing of Paul, and it says, if you've got your Bibles, you can have it in your Bibles. I'll have everything on the screen as well today. It says, then he came, talking about Paul, to Derby in Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. And the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with him. So first thing, Paul is out on a missionary journey. This is Paul's first missionary journey, and he's going out, and, uh, and he sees a disciple. He sees a guy with, uh, with potential. Guy doesn't have much in the background, but he's got potential. Um, so he chooses him, and so Paul co-authors this book of Philippians, and it's important because, in all reality, he was converted on this first missionary journey and went with him to Philippi. So eventually you're going to see Paul and Timothy actually go to Philippi together, and they actually help found the church together. So in many ways, they actually had this ministry of building this church, and now they're co-writing this book back. So Timothy actually was actively involved. These were the first early days of Timothy really being called out. So this is, you know, he's at his house. He's starting to learn. People say he's well-spoken of. So Paul has brought him along. He kind of just tagged along. And now as he's writing back to these people, Timothy's sharing his experience. So this is very appropriate that Timothy is helping. 
Paul could have taken all of the recognition. He could have taken all the recognition. After all, he's clearly the leader. He's the one that's in charge. He has the most experience. But instead, he chooses to follow our memory verse. He esteemed others as better than himself. He let others share the glory. He wasn't a glory hog. Now, before we move forward, I actually want to move backward one more time. Do you remember Demas in our last sermon? I've been talking about a little bit this morning. Now, he left Paul in his desperate hour of need. During the last sermon, I actually mentioned a guy named Mark as well. So Mark is also known as, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That Mark, okay? Mark started out on this journey with them, this first missionary journey as a young kid, just kind of green behind the ears. At one point, Mark turns tail and runs. Like, he actually just kind of abandons everybody early on. Basically says, this isn't for me. I'm going home to mama, okay? So that's, that's really what happens. He thought he could do it, but then he's just like, you know what, guys? It wasn't even going got rough. It was just the going got too far from mama's home cooking, so he actually went back home very early on. So the, Barnabas, you might have heard Barnabas's name, uh, Mark decides after some time at home that he wants to rejoin the group. He's like, you know what? I've had second thoughts. I want to rejoin the group. Paul is having none of it. Paul's like, no, you abandoned me once. You were, you were dead to me. Like, I will never see you again in my life. Barnabas says, no, we need to bring him. And it creates a rift in the missionary group. And so they actually end up splitting and going different ways. But what's interesting is last week we talked about how um, at the end of everything in 2 Timothy, as Paul is writing, he says, bring Mark to me because he's useful for ministry. You see, time had healed old wounds. He'd allowed this, this tear between them and their relationship. Eventually, I don't know what happened, but it really proved his character. There was a lot to Paul's character. Have you ever stepped out only to fail like Mark? Have you ever felt like God was saying, uh, you should do this, whether it's a business venture or something else, you just kind of stepped out and then everything just fell flat? It's hard enough to do something new, but then to fail while stepping out in my expectations, it kind of takes all the wind out of your sails. Just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I can't do anything else right now. I just, I don't want to do this. It makes me want to retreat inward. It makes me want to put myself never in that position again. I don't want to put myself out again. Mark was young and he was a new convert. Maybe he bit off more than he could chew. But not long into the venture, like I said, he had turned tail and he had run. And I want to say this. That just because you failed in the past, just because you failed in the past, it doesn't make you irredeemable now. Just because you failed before doesn't make you irredeemable now. And I know someone probably needs to hear that today. If you are alive, you can still come back. No, you cannot change the past, but you can change the course of the future for the better. You can redeem the time and you can make things better just as Mark was able to do. He, he had failed and eventually he came back. Christ came because despite all of our imperfections, he still loved us just as we are. Not just for the person who we could become, but for the person who you are right now. He always wants the best of you. Now, our second point today is where the spirit doesn't lead. Where the spirit doesn't lead. Yeah, you read that one correctly. We are talking about the events that lead to the formation of the church of Philippi. So we're kind of walking up towards the formation of this church. Now, I want to tell you that the church in Philippi exists because of where the Spirit didn't lead. And now let's see if you can identify with Paul. I'm going to put up some of his words here and what's happening in Acts chapter 16. It says, Now when they, talking about the group of missionaries, had gone through Phrygia, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. 
So you're going to have to imagine with me for just a second, especially if you're unfamiliar with the map, Paul is out with his traveling companions. He's assuming that God wants him to preach the gospel, obviously as a Christian, and you know, he's one of the leaders of the early church. I'm supposed to preach the gospel wherever I go, so God's just going to give me an open door everywhere I go, right? Well, Paul tries to go south, is what these towns are, south, to give people the good news. South isn't a bad choice. From where they're at, the cities that they're talking about are actually really big Greek cities. They're, they're nice civilizations. You could start a really big church there. Paul attempts to go south, and God has this empathetic no. Just ain't going to happen. Absolutely not. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit's pretty strong words. God says, absolutely not. Not going to happen. Okay, so God's closed the door. You, uh, you ever done that? You're like, okay, I want to go this way. God slams the door. Okay, fine. You know what? I'll just, I'll go another way. I'll, I'll just, I'll go somewhere else. So Paul says, well, if we can't go south, let's go north. That's the opposite direction, obviously. So after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. Okay, so I'm going to really butcher a couple of these words. I'm just going to keep going like it's the correct wording. And you can find that out on your own and on another time. But the spirit did not permit them. So going south didn't work. They tried going north, and now, now they can't go north. Well, that's a bit frustrating. Uh, okay, God, I understand you closed one door, but why are you closing? This is the exact opposite direction. Now they can't go north, and so they're at this traveling, and they're trying to figure out um, if you understand the map, which you may not, they actually traveled from the east. So, so far, they can't go back east, because that's where they came from. They already know the gospel is being preached out that way, and now they're at a point where they can't go north, they can't go south, so what's left? Uh, yeah, see, I already see that finger pointing. There you go. Have you ever been to the point where it feels like God's closing more doors um, than he's been opening? You ever been at that point? God's closing all the doors. He hasn't opened yet a single one. And, and in Paul's life, Paul's the missionary that God uses to, to preach to, to untold millions and do all these miracles. And God's like, nope, not here. Nope, not here. Nope, not here. God, I, I need at least one open door. And so he's struggling. He's trying to figure out, what are you doing, God? Instead of a yes, go that way, God gives a no. And I, I get frustrated at times when God's limiting my life. And I don't normally say it out loud, but you know, my heart's like, come on, God, I just, just give me a direction. I just, if you said that way, I would go and I would march that way until, you know, my feet fell off. I would do it. But God doesn't always do that. God doesn't always point and say yes that way. Typically he says reduction. No, not that way. And God typically works commonly what we will find in our lives is God closes doors instead of just opening one and saying, yes, go this way. And he allows us to learn and he guides us through this reduction process. And Paul recognizes that the only option that God hasn't closed off, as you've obviously guessed, is west. But he's learned that at this point that he can't just go west. He's got to wait because there's a whole bunch west. And he, you know, there's a whole lot of territory. Where do we go west? So he waits. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, God gives a vision. A vision appears to Paul in the night, and a man in Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we, this is Luke's, remember Luke's writing this, so he's with the group, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel. Well, he closed every other route, so we're like, yes, this is obviously the only one, so they go to Macedonia. Every door has closed, and finally the one has shown him. So the next time you feel like God's closing doors, remember he's helping point you in a very specific direction. 
He's going for the one degree out of the, uh, in a compass. Uh, we did compass work not too long ago with the kids. There are 365 degrees in a circle, you know, one degree at a time. And if God closes 364, you know for a fact the one degree is your direction. And sometimes he has to close a whole bunch of doors. Next time God is closing doors, it's okay. He's directing you with purpose. He's got a plan. He's not stopping you. He understands what you need, but he's helping you out by helping you avoid some things. Uh, so he's, he's turning in uh, and he's looking and he's trying to figure out. So finally, they know where they're going and God has this plan. So Paul's received his marching orders and he goes to Troas, okay? It says Troas. You know the city better known as Troy. So you guys would say Troy. This is Troas back in the day. So Troy. So now you might have a general idea if you're a geography buff on where they're going. And then they go to sh- by ship to Macedonia. So Paul's first stop in Europe, so they're finally going out to Europe, uh, is Philippi, port city. Uh, This is where they land, pretty big city. Um, And so Acts calls it the foremost city in Macedonia. Immediately they call it the foremost city in Macedonia. Let's pick up their journey in verse 13 of Acts 16. It says, and on the Sabbath day, so now they've landed their feet in Philippi, and then they're like, okay, so God has clearly called us here to, to preach the gospel. What do we do? This is what Paul says. On the Sabbath day, we went out to the city on the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and we spoke to the woman who met there. So one of the questions I get asked, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, is how does God choose to send the gospel out? You ever wondered why does God choose to send the gospel this way, and maybe he's not sending it this way? Like, these people really need the gospel. Why is he sending it over this way? You ever wondered why and how God makes these choices? Apparently, down by the riverside, some people were praying. They worshiped what they didn't quite understand or know. We're going to find out that several of these people get saved. So clearly, they weren't worshiping a God they knew. They were asking God to show himself and reveal himself. And so God sent missionaries because they were searching. Now, I was raised as an atheist, and during my teen years, I studied every religious cult or any other concept that I thought was valuable. Most of them, I thought, were just man's ideas of how to please God and how to control God, so most of them I didn't really think had any merit or value. And now, my uh, mom's house is a mile uh, up a dirt road. It's a hill uh, from the bus stop. So every day, the dust would drop me off, and I would walk a mile up a dirt road to my mom's house. And I remember very specifically, even though I was an atheist and I didn't know God, I remember walking up my mom's road up towards her house. And I was just a couple of houses before um, her house, and I, I stopped, and I was just like, you know what, God, I'm, I'm getting frustrated because all these things just, they don't work. So if you are real, if you are real, show yourself and I will follow you. Okay, that, that was my simple prayer. I, I remember that day. It would be five years before he actually answered that prayer. I don't know why he took five years, even though I said, you know what, if you show yourself, I will follow you. He took five years. He has perfect timing. He wanted to use something in that five years to teach me something. I don't know what, you know, it might have been better. I might have saved myself a lot of dumb mistakes if I had come to him earlier, but I don't know. But God chose to wait that time. God stops and he has perfect timing. And so he hears the prayers of those who are searching for him and he sends missionaries to places who call out to him. And you can read missionary story again and again. Uh, there's a book called Fox's Book of the Martyrs uh, and several others where you can actually read where missionaries get on the field and they learn the language and then they find out that the one person was praying like, God, show yourself. And God just sent missionaries out of the blue. There was no reason for them to go otherwise outside. God sends people who are looking. So you ever wonder how God chooses? He listens to hearts and he watches for those that are ready and he sends them. 
Now, answering the call, answering the call, the last point. In the book of Philippians, we're going to see the heart of Paul on display again and again throughout his words. Now, who were these people that held his heart so dearly? He would write these kind of words. This is the kind of words that he writes to these people. This is not your typical, you know, just writing down the facts of the gospel. This is always in every prayer of mine of making requests for you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This is the people that he remembers dearly. He's talking about, I'm praying for you. Okay, you have a prayer request and you pray for that prayer request and you lift it up to the Lord, but when it's something that hits home, you just, you pray dearly for it. And, and this is what Paul is saying. This, this hits home for me. So I pray dearly for it. I pray for you every single day because I love you people and I know you people well. This is a very personal letter in what he is doing. So in Acts 16, we are going to be introduced to three different members of the new church that is about to happen. And they have nothing in common except for one savior. They are completely different. And we're gonna learn about the formation of this church and the people that are gonna be comprising. These are the people probably the people that he is thinking of, maybe even some other people. So first person we're going to learn is Lydia. Lydia is a seller of things colored purple. Okay, so let's look at this here. It says Acts 16, 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia uh, heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. Now purple is the color of royalty. If you know anything about back in the day, purple was very hard to get. So it was very expensive, hence the fact that only royalty had purple things, so it became the color of royalty. Lydia would have had money because she was selling expensive stuff. We also find out that she was in town on business. We find out that she traveled. She would have been a well-respected, probably a socialite-type person who had money. The verse says, obviously, that she's visiting on business, and in verse 15, she accepts Christ as Savior and invites Paul and his band to stay at their place while they're in on business. So she and her household get saved. That's the first people here that get saved. Uh, now, when it happened, uh, right afterwards, okay, so Lydia gets saved, and the next person that they see is completely different. So they just got a very rich lady who's in town on business, and the next person, now it happened, we went to prayer, and that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit from fortune-telling. Next person they're going to see is this slave girl, who's not only a slave to men, but also a slave to demons. She, she's doubly entrapped. And her masters have figured out this way to, to use her for profit. And so she's following around and she starts telling everybody uh, about the, the apostles. And she actually starts proclaiming, these guys right here know the living God and they proclaim the way of salvation to Jesus Christ. She keeps saying that. And she keeps following them around. And eventually Paul kind of gets frustrated. At first he lets it go. But as, uh, at one point he kind of has enough. Now, we don't know what is the stronger emotion, okay? Because we're not told what the strongest emotion is. Did he have pity on the girl? It could have been just straight out pity, like this girl, uh, she, is, she is doubly entrapped, and he could have had great pity on the girl. He could have also been annoyed that the demons who don't even believe in God were proclaiming his name. He's like, this is blasphemy. Why, why would you, you don't even believe in God's name. What are you doing? So Paul calls out the demons in the name of Jesus Christ, and the demons leave the girls, and the masters realize that all of their attempts for easy money are gone. And they are not happy. I mean, their money bag is gone. The girl no longer can divinate. Uh, she can no longer tell the future. And their easy money is completely out the window. So what do they do? 
they get him arrested. Okay, so, so the first thing, they're like, these guys are causing trouble. So they actually have the, uh, the authorities come in and say, these foreigners are causing trouble in our town because, you know, we're out of money. So, you know, we're mad. And so they, they have them arrested. And so we say Paul is uh, arrested and he's doing something good for somebody else. Think about this. He stepped out of his comfort zone he, he, he cast out the demons, and he's doing something good for somebody else. He's living out our memory verses. Our memory verses which said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. He, he stopped, and he's like, this girl, this girl is completely, uh, she can't do anything. Uh, she, she's, she's a slave to, to humans, and she's a slave to demons. And she has nothing. And so he steps out and he does a great thing for her. He casts out the demons in the name of Jesus. And, and how is he rewarded for it? He does the right thing. And as soon as the demons are gone, he's put in jail. He's slapped and he's put in prison. And this is where we're actually going to meet our, our third person, which is the jailer himself. So all of these events kind of tie into each other, which is very interesting to watch the way God works his timing. Now, the prison, uh, the officials said, hey, you guys got to keep them securely so they don't go anywhere. Don't allow them to escape. So the prison guard's like, I've got an idea. I've got a place to put them. He puts them inside the innermost sanctuary of the prison, the most safely guarded place. He doesn't just put them in the normal place, which is locked up. He goes into the other place and he puts them in the stocks. Now, in the last message, we talked about the prison conditions. We talked about the food and everything else. But when you're in stocks, your legs are locked down. You can't go anywhere. You can't get up to walk around. You can't go anywhere if you need to relieve yourself. And you can be there for days on end. And so they're sitting there. And they're in stocks. And all they were doing was proclaiming the gospel. Last thing they did was they, they cast a demon out of the girl. And so what are they feeling? What's happening to them? What's got to be running to their mind? Well, what do they do? At midnight, Paul and Silas, who had been the ones that were arrested, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So as Christ followers, our joy doesn't simply come from this emotional high that people talk about, joy. Um, it comes from something much deeper. We, we have a joy from a source that is never-ending, that is overflowing and abundant. If anyone ever tells you all you need is a little more faith and your situation will get better, remember Paul and Silas. They probably had more faith than all of us combined. Think about it. Paul is used by God to perform more miracles than any one of us could count up to. Paul is going out on these missionary journeys, and he's already been beaten left for dead more than once at this point in his ministry, and he's still going. He probably has more faith than most of us in this room. And his situation doesn't get better. It's not a health and wealth gospel. It's what God's plan is gospel. And God's plan is for them to be there at that time for a very specific purpose. And he doesn't know what it is, but he chooses his reaction. And we get to choose our reaction. We've been talking about a lot of people who need prayer because their situations aren't humanly good. Okay, we all have people right now that I, I, I don't have the answers and I really don't know what God's plan is. God has a plan and all I can say is, you know, God has a plan. And you're like, well, that does me a lot of good. But it's a great thing when we can look at these words and we can say, okay, God has this plan and it turns out really neat at the end because we can't see the end, but we can choose our reaction. And I think our reaction is what really matters, what we choose to put on display. And despite their incredibly bad circumstances for the utterly wrong reasons, they choose to praise God in the middle of the night and everybody's got their heads turned and everybody's looking and their reaction is priceless as everybody's looking and you're like, why are these two morons singing? 
singing in the middle of the night. So, so you're wondering, number one, when are these two going to shut up, okay? You're another prisoner, and you're like, who, what, why? Why are these guys even singing? And then you also wonder, where's their source of joy? You got, you got to wonder, as another prisoner, what makes these guys sing? I mean, you, you, you want your sleep, okay? Prison's not the greatest. You know, at least you can get your sleep. But these guys are up keeping everybody up, and you're like, what keeps these guys going? Why? What, what is the source of their joy? So God does a miracle, and you probably know, if you've ever heard this story, God causes an earthquake. Not only do the prison doors unlock, but all of the shackles unlock. Have you ever heard of an earthquake unlocking doors and shackles? Not only, like, like I could get that the door becomes a jar in a prison. That makes sense. But the shackles come unlocked as well. So the prison guard is sitting there, and he's like, okay, um, what's happening here? They could have left, okay? And that's actually what the jailer expected. He expected prisoners to flee. I mean, you know, prisoners typically, when they get an opportunity, they're out of there. I mean, nobody wants to be in those circumstances. He expects them to leave. Supposing that the prisoners has fled, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. But Paul calls out with a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself, we're all still here. The jailer took his job seriously. He was a man of honor. And he had gone above and beyond his job description to keep them secure. And it didn't work because God had stepped in and God had intervened. God had chosen to do something. And the honorable thing at this point was to kill himself rather than face the shame of letting prisoners go. That, that was what was expected of him if he was an honorable man. But the unthinkable happens. The prisoners say they're still there. The prisoners were in jail. But the ones in chains weren't the ones that were imprisoned. The ones that were in chains weren't the ones that were imprisoned. It was somebody else. The jailer calls for light, and automatically he figures out, you know, where is everybody? And he sees them, first thing out of his mouth, what can I do to be saved? Like, this doesn't make sense. What can I do to get saved? His first question that he asks, so guess who was listening to all that singing? The jailer. Not only were the other prisoners, the jailer was listening to them and their testimony the entire night wondering, what are these guys doing? Why do they have this joy? Their reaction changed the hearts of everybody around them. So we have the rich lady, the young slave, and then we have the blue-collar jailer. Normal guy working a normal job. Completely different people from completely different walks of life. Vastly different people. But they all have one central person in common, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes into their lives, completely flips everything upside down, and he makes a church. And he makes a wonderful body that he has designed. We have sometimes, even in this room, we have nothing in common, and maybe we'd even see each other at Greg's and not even notice each other. But he brings us together as one body on purpose because we are useful together in ways that we can't even imagine yet because we are together and we are working as one. Now, as we move through this book of Philippians, this is just the background, okay? Obviously, we didn't cover a lot. Keep these experiences in the back of your mind. He knows these people. He has had personal experiences. The jailer was about to kill himself if Paul hadn't spoke up. And Paul spoke up. And now this guy gets saved, and now he's part of the church. So everybody that's in this church that we're gonna see in this Philippian church, he has personal experiences with. He deeply loves them. So this is a letter written to people he deeply loves. So when he's writing this, listen to his words and the thoughts that he has. So I have two closing questions. Number one, has it felt like God's been closing all of the doors lately? Some days it feels like God only wants to say no. You, you ever been there? God's just saying no, nope, 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 nope. That's not gonna work, that's not gonna work. 
God slowly directs us and helps us by helping us stay away from where we don't need to be. Remember that. God often helps us by helping us stay away from where we don't need to be. He works by directing us most of the time by saying no, to keep us away from places we don't need to go. And my second thing is, when you think of the church, who are the people that come to mind? Who are the people that come to mind? When you think church, do you think of the faces here? There is no doubt in my mind that when Paul thought my church family, he thought of these people and more. The other people we're not even gonna talk about in this, but that's just the first couple of people that are in Philippi that he helped start the church with. These people had no reason to associate, but Christ stepped in and flipped their world upside down and completely changed everything. Church is about people. Always has been, always will be. The center of church, why we exist, is because of you and everybody else who will step through these doors. We exist because of people. So my challenge for you today is to find someone and tell them that you appreciate them today. Find somebody in the church and tell them you appreciate them today. So if somebody comes up and says they appreciate you, you've been on their mind, and now you know. Um, let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the encouragement that even though all of the doors seem to be closing, you still gave direction. Lord, help us to take encouragement from these words that our reaction is what matters the most, not our circumstances. Father, I know that you had Paul and Silas locked down in what seemed like a horrible place for absolutely no good reason. They were doing the right thing. They were being used to do miracles, yet they still got locked up. Lord, I thank you for their example, that they praised you even though things were not going the way that they thought they should be, not fairly. Father, help us to emulate them. Lord, help us to praise you even in the midnight hour. Help us to be singing your praises and praying to you so that everybody looks around and goes, why? So we can tell them about your love and your goodness. Lord, I thank you for the people that are here, Lord. Help us to love one another the way you have asked us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.